Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. I have been surprised by the parallel universe that some of these coalition ex-ministers live in where if they're not specifically referred to the Anti-Corruption Commission or to the federal police, somehow they feel they've got a clean bill of health. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. On Tuesday, in the wake of the damning RoboDebt Royal Commission report, I was joined by the Minister for Government Services and the National Disability Insurance Scheme, Bill Shorten. Commissioner Catherine Holmes' report was an indictment on the way Australia was governed and the lack of moral consideration extended to welfare recipients. Holmes was highly critical of Coalition Ministers Scott Morrison, Christian Porter and senior public servants for failing to obtain proper legal advice about the process of income averaging to raise debts and Ministers Alan Tudge and Stuart Robert for the way they defended the unlawful scheme. While Morrison has rejected adverse findings that he effectively misled Cabinet, the impact of the report will reverberate for some time. Minister Shorten, thank you for joining us on Australian Politics. My pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to start by asking you one of the questions posed by counsel assisting in the Royal Commission itself. Can you think of a larger scale failure of public administration than robo-debt? I suppose in controversy, maybe the Kemlani loans affair, which brought down the Whitlam government or contributed to its demise. But in terms of actual, in peacetime, in terms of actual uh, failure to Australian citizens with human consequences, no, I can't. Half a million people unlawfully uh, treated, uh, where the Commonwealth government, the biggest, most powerful institution in Australian society, decides it's going to raise unlawful debt notices against half a million of its approximately half a million people of its most vulnerable citizens for no other reason than the government thought they could treat people using our social security safety net as second class. So no, it's shameful. And for it to go for four and a half years, despite all of the red flags, warnings, the fire hose of misery, the freight train of complaint and hurt, no. You've said it's not sustainable to keep the sealed chapter of the Royal Commission report confidential. Uh, Will we have to wait until every agency has brought every action they intend to and every appeal avenue is exhausted, or could we see it sooner than that? Well, when I say it's not sustainable, it means it can't forever, I think, be sealed away. But the Royal Commissioner, who has done a pretty good job, I think most people would concede, of um, dissecting the evidence and cutting through the spin and rubbish, has suggested this path until matters are taken by regulatory agencies. So it could be for as long as that. But I think eventually detail just emerges, not from the sealed report, but from the conduct of individuals and processes. 
You've warned former ministers they're not out of the woods in relation to robo-debt. What consequences could there be for them? And specifically, uh, will Labor try and censure Scott Morrison in Parliament over robo-debt like you did for his multiple ministries? The decision about censure will be made by the leadership of the parliamentary party in the caucus. It won't be made by myself. But there's no doubt that um, Mr Morrison's conduct is quite remarkable for a Prime Minister of Australia, if you believe the Royal Commission, which I think many people do. But how Parliament treats that will be a matter for the Parliament. I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to predict or advise. In terms of what I've said recently about ex-ministers, I have been, to be honest, surprised by the parallel universe that some of these coalition ex-ministers live in where if they're not specifically referred to the Anti-Corruption Commission or to the federal police, somehow they feel they've got a clean bill of health. They're really taking the definition of adverse findings to a pretty narrow definition. The truth of the matter is that no self-respecting person in public life from council dog catcher to state MP to federal MP would want written about them some of the things which uh, the Royal Commission's found about some of the former coalition ministers and some senior public servants and the calibre and the consequence of the evidence they gave. So where it takes is the Commission has said that whilst the general compensation scheme would be administratively more expensive than the purpose, she has flagged, and I drew attention to that, she said that on the face of the evidence that the Commission heard, the elements of the tort of malfeasance of public office seems to have been satisfied. So that's no doubt going to create a chain of legal advice, of which I can't predict, but It is possible that in the light of what the Commission has said, that individuals who are wronged by robodebt may seek legal advice about seeking civil law remedies against ex-coalition ministers for their conduct. On Tuesday, Peter Gordon said that Gordon Legal is prepared to sue for misfeasance in public office and revealed that he'd asked the Albanese government to sit down and discuss compensation. Um, Does this mean that compensation is back on the table if it's a settlement for identified plaintiffs who suffered egregious harm rather than a general scheme of anyone and everyone who got a robo-debt? I wouldn't want to preempt whatever discussions do or don't take place at this point. I think that would be um, premature of me. Obviously, I was very involved in helping organise the initial class action, so I understand what Mr Gordon's suggesting. Government has processes and I'm not going to sort of get ahead of them. But in terms of the general approach, you talked about cases against individual ministers, but the problem is if they've got taxpayer-funded lawyers and and an indemnity from, from the fact that they were ministers at the time, it will be the government that's responsible for, for paying for and defending the case, won't it? Or will you try and... The Guardian's made up of very seasoned journalists. There's more hypotheticals in that than a David Copperfield magic show, so I'm not going to... Yes, it. But, but let me. But having said, will you will you try and separate your liability though? Will you try and cut loose the coalition ministers? Oh, but you're you, you sort of you've opened the first chapter of the robo debt story was the government breaking the law. The second chapter was for four and a half years telling the nation that they were imagining that the law was being broken. The third chapter has been some of the, uh, the harm done. The fourth chapter has been all the efforts to overturn it, including the VLA work in Masterson and D'Amato cases. There's other chapters, the class action, other chapters, Labor calling and then having a Royal Commission. You're asking me now to tell you what happens in the next chapter. I don't know yet. But one thing's for sure, what people I think do want to hear is 
do I personally have a commitment to seeing accountability uh, for the people who did this? Yes, I do. Does the government want to make sure that people are accountable? Yes, they do. But there's just steps to go through and, you know, I'm not the Attorney General and we don't know where things go yet, but one thing, the destination has to be accountability. We'll put the crystal ball away for the next one, don't worry. Um, The report talks about a change in terms of attitude to welfare recipients, including raising the job seeker rate. Now, there was an increase in the May budget, but uh, would you agree that the work isn't done here? Oh, I think that what the budget did was uh, a good development between Commonwealth rent assistance, between the uh, prescription medicines, between raising the rate. But I'm not going to pretend that I think that everything's resolved because it's not, and it's not easy to live. I couldn't contemplate or imagine how I would get by in those circumstances, so I'm not going to tell everyone that, you know, it's all done and dusted. But by that, you can't also take that I have a number or a process in mind. The government also has finally sorted out improving the treatment of single mothers and the age their kids can be and still receive that. This is the government moving on a range of issues, just as we're moving to try and improve the operation of Services Australia. And of course, the public discourse has changed. There wouldn't be a Royal Commission into robo-debt where the Commissioner can make her views except for Labor. The government has appointed an independent reviewer to determine if public servants who are subject of adverse findings uh, have breached the uh, Public Service Code of Conduct. Mm. Can you explain why that process is necessary on top of a Royal Commission? What's well, a result of the Royal Commission. It's the next stage. Royal Commission has endeavoured to try and explain how this whole unlawful shame occurred. I think it has done that. As a result, it has made uh, referrals about individuals to particular regulatory agencies, including the Australian Public Service Commission. So what the Public Service Commission is doing, and I'm learning all of this too in in sort of real time, is they're going to look at existing public servants and um, see if there's any breaches of the Public Service Code. And they've got to afford natural justice and hear all the points of view. A Royal Commission is not a criminal court. It can make findings, it can look at evidence, but it can't establish criminal liability or even civil liability. It just puts facts and then gives it to regulatory agencies. So this is the next step. A Royal Commission forms views about the conduct of some public servants. They are then investigated by the Australian Public Service Commission. Gordon DeBrow, the head of the Australian Public Service Commissioner, has, um, in conjunction with other senior public servants, Glyn Davis and the AGD, Attorney General Sivarman, appointed Mr Stephen Sedgwick to do an independent review of each of the referrals. Now, I want to turn to uh, one of the people that was subject to findings in the Royal Commission report, the outgoing member for Fadden, Stuart Robert, Mm. who was the opinion headlines not just for the robo-debt report but also the previous week in relation to uh, Synergy 360. Mm. What have we learned about Robert in the last two weeks and why do you think voters in Fadden are going to a by-election? Mr. Robert decided he no longer wanted to serve in Parliament. He has uh, vigorously uh, said he's done nothing wrong in any context. In fact, he has quite remarkably claimed credit for finishing robo-debt, which has not been held up in the view of the Royal Commission. But anyway, he seems to be very satisfied with everything he's done, and I should state that. What's happened is that uh, there were a series of uh, emails which came from within the ranks of a lobbying company, Synergy 360, They seem to reveal that Mr Robert was available and giving them a lot of assistance. There's been hearings of the um, Joint Committee for Public Accounts and Audit where it appears that 
further allegations uh, have been made about Mr Robert. I've asked the agency in the light of evidence which has emerged uh, at that committee for further advice on what we do with Mr Robert and the operations of Synergy 360. As to why he left, only he knows. But the reason why voters in Fadden are having a, turning out to a by-election, well, I'll leave that to all of the publicly available information about the circumstances of his departure. And I'll add the disclaimer that Robert denied wrongdoing in relation to Synergy's 360, said he didn't lobby or assist its clients with contracts and never took any payment or benefit. But what can you tell us about, is there any update on the investigative processes or checks within your agencies? No. About his, uh, no, I haven't received. I have to say, RoboDebt's... Um, my agency's been very busy the last two weeks between the work we've given them on Mr. Robert and um, all the work that Mr. Robert's given them and uh, then RoboDebt. So I don't have any further updates at this point. I have a few questions in your capacity as Minister for the NDIS. Sure. The budget contained a target of an 8% cost growth rate with projected savings of $74 billion over a decade. Mm-hmm. For listeners who might not be familiar with the issue, can you explain how that 8% target was arrived at and, and why you're confident you can achieve that? The NDIS is here to stay. Uh, the NDIS, since Labor initially created it, has been changing lives for the better. Of course, after nine years of coalition mismanagement, it is a scheme which needs a reboot. What we need to do is at all points from here on in, put the interest of the participant first. So I believe that if we run the scheme in the best interest of the participant, some of the clunky cost growth will be moderated. The scheme remains a um, demand-driven scheme. It's not means-tested. We're not absolutely not interested in co-payments, as some of the Liberals have suggested. But I do think we can run the scheme better. So I think reforms, including improving the capability of the agency, taking a longer-term approach with plans, dealing with spiralling prices charged by service providers, dealing with fraud by service providers, looking at how we can improve supported independent living and the housing packages, and also getting other departments of government and other levels of government to step up and not have the NDIS as the only lifeboat in the ocean for Australians with disability. I think we can improve the outcomes for participants and also eliminate some of the waste in the scheme. But I want to be very clear, it is a target, not a cap. So it's what we're aiming for, and that's good to have an aim. I'm confident we can do it, but we'll do it with co-design, we'll do it with people with disability, we'll do it with people on the scheme, not two people on the scheme. We've got a review coming in October, which again is heavily governed by the principles of co-design. And all of these reforms build on some of the improvements we made since the outset. Half the board of the scheme and our people with disability, of the 11 most senior people in the National Disability Insurance Agency a year ago at the time of the election, 10 are gone. It's been a complete refresh of the leadership group. We've got more people out of hospital who are eligible for discharge and not waiting as long. And we've dealt with literally thousands of legacy cases which were caught up in the court at the last election and moved them forward. The scheme is not working consistently ideally for everyone in the same way it should be. But I've got no doubt with the immense amount of goodwill, we can deliver 8%, but more importantly than 8% growth, which is still an excellent growth rate for any scheme. What we can do is make sure that decisions are made in the best interest of the participant, get it back to the fundamentals, make sure every dollar gets through to the people for whom the scheme was designed for.
The NDIS architect Bruce Bonahady has said encourages people to join the scheme by presenting the worst version of themselves. How do you ensure, as you say, that the NDIS isn't the only boat in the ocean so that that perverse incentive doesn't exist and there are other supports? We're looking forward to recommendation from Bruce Bonahady and Lisa Paul's report and they've got an excellent board of people advising them and a secretariat working very hard. I think if we can look at what works out there, how we can help states and other government departments and the broader community create foundations for Australians with disability, then not everyone will feel that the only option they've got is the NDIS. The executive producer of this episode is Miles Martignoni. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Hey, Jane Lee here. I'm one of the hosts of Full Story, and I want to tell you about a way you can catch up on some of The Guardian's award-winning journalism. It's in print, and it gets delivered to your door no matter where you are in Australia. The Guardian Weekly magazine is our global news magazine, which features in-depth articles, including pics from Guardian Australia's editors. It comes out once a week, and it can help you make sense of a busy news cycle. You can currently sign up and buy your first 12 issues for $12. That's just a dollar an issue. But this offer won't be around forever, so go and subscribe today at theguardian.com forward slash weekly Australia. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.